Well, let's open up our time if we could. I know you're wrapping up, but uh, let's begin if we can. Uh, we have a lot to cover today, and I do want to try to make sure I give it justice. And uh, I know that the questions here um, certainly um, probably invoke uh, a lot of conversation, and we could probably go at this in a, in a more uh, holistic way for a longer period of time. And to the extent that we're able to, I want to save some time at the end of our time together today, too. This is a part three of a, th- uh, this is a third part of a three-part study that we have been on. And uh, um, it's really about joy in our trials. Um, and uh, as, we, as we do begin our time together, um, I know through the Easter season, uh, we took a break and... Uh, Took took a section a time away for a week, and uh, some of some of the rest of you have been in and out of um, uh, times just due to schedules and everything. So, my, my intent today is is to try to catch you up very quickly, but but give you the the backdrop of what we covered in the first time and the second time last time, and then uh, this will be the third part together today. So, as we do think about um, getting started. Um, uh, let's. Uh, I want to answer a couple of these questions, and a couple of them we're going to answer in our time together. Um, when you think about like last week, um, last time we got together, I guess would be a better way to say it. Um, what, what were some of the great, uh, maybe some new insights, new uh, um, things that you saw and heard um, if you were here uh, then? Uh, any any thoughts or input on that about trials? Anybody? They're there, and they are for real. Yeah. They are there, and they are for real. Others? Pardon me? They're from God. They're from God. Um, so many times I know I heard a couple of conversations that were pretty pretty good about, um, you know, saying, you know, well, I thought that trials sometimes were from Satan, or most of the time were from Satan. And, and what is this about God? You're bringing these in my life. Well, I hope that we, as we go through our study this day and remind you of what we've already talked about, sometimes I, I get the sense that we study things and we get it, we, we go through them, and um, all of a sudden we, we kind of go, yeah, 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 because it's not personal. And it's not, it's not um, like where it hits me. And so therefore, I, 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 get, a, I get this kind of perspective of what, the scriptures do say, but you know what? I lose my mind when I'm in the middle of my own trial, right? I, lo- I lose my mind, and, and, and I forget what, what it is that the scriptures say. And therefore, I don't respond biblically. And I don't have a dashboard of my soul that, that allows for God to work in a way that is God-honoring, Christ-exalting. And, and, and for that reason, most of us navigate trials in an unbiblical way. And therefore have unbiblical outcomes in our lives. Let me just state the obvious. For me personally. Yeah. So saying that to a trial seems... Yep. Yep. Um, whenever you're trying to solve a problem, problem solving 101, what is it? State the problem clearly. You cannot state the problem clearly in trials in your life. You do not have the larger context in place, which is the spiritual component of what is going on. Because whenever I define trials in my life from the here and now, right here, 
I always get it wrong. And therefore, when I get it wrong, I'm thinking wrong. And when I'm thinking wrong, I, I actually act and respond wrong. So what we're going to hopefully learn through our time is how to do that biblically. Some of us are in a trial. Some of us are coming into a trial. Some of, some of us are going to become, uh, have come out, are coming out of a trial. And so please, um, let's think about that. What else did you learn about regarding trials so far? Last week that our trial, our intimacy with God can, yeah. I mean, it's just where some things are going okay. Realize that our intimacy is where it needs to be, but trial is going to be magnified. Yeah, why? It has why, the ability. Has the ability. I think that's the, we're going to go through this whole time together today, and we're going to be talking about has the ability, can, has the opportunity to, because all of us know personally that it doesn't always work that way, does it? So so how does it go from not Connie to do you think? Having intimacy with God. Well I think it's a choice that we make. A choice based on testimony and our I mean it's just Okay, a choice. <laughs> choice to be exercised. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah, counted all joy and trials and we're not feeling that way. Uh, really good point. Um, really good point. Okay. Um, how in the world do you think... Uh, we're going to talk about greatly rejoice with inexpressible joy and full of glory, the number two here. And we're also going to talk about number three together in our time. So explain how, why, how, um, why how. We navigate trials in our lives um, matter both now and for eternity. Why does, why does it matter in our lives as to how we navigate trials. What do you think on that? Okay? So, how we seek the, when we seek the Lord now, we're growing so much intimacy. We'll be so warm even in heaven. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's developing and growing um, what is not today to what it should be tomorrow. And that what it should be, according to scriptures, is called coming to full maturity. Coming to completeness in Christ. And so all of us are in process. That's the, that, that's the great news. All of us are in process. And, and this is about God completing that process here. And we'll complete it there in, in total. Okay, good. Isn't that an area possibly that we don't put our arms around? Is because we don't have an eternal perspective? Absolutely. And, and what Kim's brought out, and what Connie's brought out, is so important when we're in, in the midst of a trial is to be able to have that eternal perspective. And I'm going to anchor us back where Dave, Dave left us off again in what is the anchor of our souls in the midst of trials. Um, it has to be very clearly understood. Because if we are anchoring someplace else to get out from underneath the trial, to get removed from it, to something else in the midst of it, then I'll suggest that one, God's not honored, Two, we're not going to navigate it biblically. And three, the outcomes will not be God-honoring and Christ-exalting. They will be personally satisfying because, in my own nature because I'm out from underneath the trial. But that's not why God has it in my life, to get out from underneath it. There's something wholly bigger going on in a, in a, in a major way. And so we want to be able to understand that. Um, and then, last but not least, what, what kind of things could be at stake if we don't respond to our trials biblically, do you think? What, what are some of the things that could be at stake? Yeah. Bitterness. Bitterness. Oh, my goodness. All of us have been there, haven't we? All of us. Yeah. Unity. Unity of the brethren. 
Unity of relationships. Absolutely. Guilty. You know, um, yesterday. (laughs) Um, Yeah, personally. Relationship with the Lord is not going to grow, is not going to be what it needs to be if I do not navigate trials biblically. Amen. What else? I think those are some really great ones. We won't be we won't be fulfilling God's God's plan for our lives, which is to become more like Christ, will we? No, we won't. All right. Well, let's open our time in prayer and uh, and get ask God to be with us through this time. Father, we can't help but enter into this third chapter of uh, um, trials in our life and understanding your perspectives and not ours without great anticipation to say that. We are so far removed from your perspective that we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for forgiveness in the way in which we navigate trials, the way we think about trials, the way we interact with trials, the way we um, are, are not testimony to even our family, much less those around us that don't know Christ. Um, Father, I pray that you would cause your spirit to surgically... Connect our hearts with what you want to have us learn through this time this morning. pray that you would be honored in our midst. I pray that this would be information that is soothing to the soul for those who are in the midst of it. But Father, for us who are coming out of it or going into it, trials, Father, I just ask that you would prepare our hearts. We know that you prepare us for greater challenges and opportunities in our life by taking us through smaller ones. Father, help us to live, to learn what you have in the midst of these things in our lives. We ask these things only through the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, um, just a quick uh, uh, anchor back on where we've come from. I just want to give you a quick you know, 50,000 foot level, um, everybody on the same page as we start. Um, so if you can take a look at the slides here, um, it's not in your handouts. Um, the first week we really anchored on trials. In tr- what, what was our anchor in trials? What, is the, what was the, our response to trials and the nature of trials? I'm going to reiterate those in a second. The second week, uh, last time we got together um, before Easter, was the possible outcomes due to trials. What I told you was that we are going to cover eight possible outcomes. Why do I say possible? Because I'm going to use the word can in each each of the each of the each of the um, the, the, the eight, which means that I can go and have this 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 outcome, or I can have this outcome depending upon how I respond. Okay, and then our, uh, today we'll also finish with our conclusions about, regarding trials. So that second week there, we, we only um, went through three of the eight, and my goal is to hit the other five and then close us out today. Okay, so uh, first week we got together, he says, in this we, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So we said, um, what is this in this at the beginning of this verse? And it really ties back to what Dave taught, which is, in this is our anchor in trials, is our living hope. And our living hope is the way in which we can have joy in the middle of the trials, not as only an outcome of trials. Let me say it again. 
our living hope and having that on the dashboard of our souls gives us the ability to have joy in the midst of trials, not just possible outcome of trials. Does that make sense to everybody? It's really important. If we're living our lives with a perspective that says, I can have joy as a possible outcome only, and you know what, it really, really stinks going through trials, then we have not caught what Peter is talking about here at all. I mean, you get half of it. (laughs) You get half of it because somehow you have joy as a result of, but not in the midst of. Okay? So, what is our inheritance? It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it will not fade away, it's reserved in heaven for us, and it's ready to be revealed in the last time. Our response to trials is that um, we greatly rejoice. Peter says this, is, this word is to exalt or to make glorious in our trials. And it's a present tense verb. It's not like, oh, by the way, when it's done, you'll get it. Okay, It's present tense verb, meaning in the midst of. Do not miss that. Okay, How does one experience joy in the, in the face of suffering and uh, trials and suffering? It's because our joy is not based on circumstances or feelings. It's anchored deep in the spiritual confidence in God and God alone. It's It's realized as an act of our will. It's realized when we trust and obey. It comes from the Lord. The the strength of the Lord is our... uh, The the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's because of who He is. And it's affirmed when we worship with all our heart. And it's cultivated when we live in purity and integrity. Um, The nature of trials that we looked at was the timing and length of trials. He says, if necessary, for, for a little while... So it's only for a little while. We said that a little while could be two things. It's when this trial is over, or it's when this life is over. But I would suggest it's when our ability to be distressed by the trials is over. That's in a little while. Okay? Um, Our approach to trials, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't wake up and find ourselves in the middle of a trial and go, Oh my goodness! You know, I'm in a trial. It's like... We've got to live our lives with expectations that God's going to take us through them and see them coming, not wake up and find ourselves smack dab in the middle of them. Purpose of trials. He says they're necessary. We said God alone is the sovereign God of the universe, and He's the one who determines for every one of us what is going on in our lives for His purposes and His glory, not my desires and my, my uh, expectations. And the impact... Um, and so the, the very purpose of trials is that they have a purpose. The nat- uh, nature is that they have a purpose. And the impact of trials is that they're in our own, in our own, in our own nature, they're going to distress us. They're going to cause pain. They're going to cause emotional angst. They're going to be. They're going to push us to the limits. That's the perp- that's the nature of trials. Okay. And last but not least, the types of trials is that they're various. They're multi-dimensional, multifaceted. They. Um, they, they, they rise up and, 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 and come in a, in, in a horde with multiples at a time. Sometimes they were just one at a time. And it's huge. Sometimes they're little. But they're multifaceted. And uh, um, they, they aggregate up really into two, two different kinds. One's, one's situations and circumstances and one is relationships with other people. Those are the two main kinds. Okay? And then last time we got together, we talked about verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8. It says that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. 
And so when we talked about these possible outcomes due to trials, first of all, we said that my confidence in God can be strengthened through trials. Uh, there's a reason why um, he calls it the fiery ordeal. It's that it has, it has a challenge in my life. And we talked about that this word proof. This word proof is the assaying of metals, meaning it's the, it's the, it's the taking of a metal, take it like gold or whatever, and it's, it's pressure testing it through the fire in such a way that, that, the, that, that the dross rises to the top to be able to take it off. And when that dross is taken off, what's left is this tested residue. The tested residue is the purity of that, that, that metal and gold. Um, and so um, our faith left behind on the other side is the tested residue. And, our, and gold is perishable. But um, our faith, um, tested in the midst of, is eternal. And he, and he calls it more precious than gold. And so... Um, my confidence in God can be strengthened in trials. Uh, we looked at this book, Safely Home. Strongly encourage you to get it. Um, lots of good, good things in the midst of it. Um, but, but Lee Kwan here said, Purest gold need not fear the flames. And it's really about um, believers in uh, China. And uh, just, I, I can't, I, I just encourage you all the more to get this book and read it. It is a story of the interaction of the spiritual realm and the glory of God in the midst of trials. Um, it's by uh, Randy Alcorn, A-L-C-O-R-N. Um, and this is his dedication page. Notice the names on this are stains, and they're all family. And uh, the father and uh, the two young sons were um, burned to death by a mob in India. And um, the, uh, the wife of and the daughter of um, said these amazing things. You know, I'm not bitter or angry. I have one great desire that each citizen of this country shall be establish a personal relationship with Christ who gave their life for their sins. And Esther, his daughter, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. And we looked up in Hebrews how he says, those of whom the world is not worthy. You know. So, um, just want to remind you of that, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to that also. Another possible outcome of trials is that my trials, the second one is my trials, my response to trials can store up honor from God. We said that God sees everything, God um, remembers everything, and God rewards everything. And that um, everything matters in our life. Everything matters. And so um, all honor will come to us at the revelation of Christ. And he says he's going to bring three things to us. Praise, which is God speaking highly of, of, of us in the midst of having gone through trials to other people. Um, glory, which is Christ-likeness that God's going to endow upon us as a result of going through it. And third is honor. God will reward us accordingly. Okay. Um, the third um, possible outcome due to trials, which is the last one we covered last time, is I can experience intimacy with God in my trials. I could spend a few, few sessions on just this, this point alone because I really don't think we really get it. Okay. But, but what I said here is... Um, um, Love and trust are two jugular ingredients in any meaningful relationship. And I walked us through Peter in his last days around the, you know, the, the coal fire with Jesus. And how when he writes these things, you have not seen him, but you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. That's love and trust, right? And that is what's being forged in the fire of trials in our life. Take love for, se- for a second. Peter was selfish. We're selfish. He says what? To, what does Christ say to him? Do you love me? Do you really love me? 
And love is, is something that God's doing in our hearts when we change our perspective to see our trials about, not about me, but about what God is doing and how do I serve others in the midst of being, going through a trial myself? How do I pray for others in the midst of? How do I love others unconditionally? Trust. Faith. Second one here. Um, I can learn how to trust God. And all of us in the midst of trusting God as we're going through those because we see that as our ability to lean fully into Him in the midst of it versus leaning away from Him in the midst of. Okay, And where we left last time, I didn't quite give you this one, which is the last one here, which is fellowship or intimacy with God is both garrisoned and fortified when I'm forced to decide. What do I mean by that? When I have to make a decision in the midst of a trial that I'm either going to trust God or not trust God, a lot of times we don't make that decision explicitly, do we? But when I make it explicitly, then, then follow on is how I act. That's how I act. And so our fellowship or intimacy with God is garrisoned and fortified when I'm forced to a decision to lean fully into Him in the midst of it. That's when it comes alive. It comes into existence. We're going to talk more about that today too. Okay? Everybody got where we're at? Common ground? Let's go forward, okay? Um, So today's learning objective is that we would finish learning about the possible outcomes trials have in our lives and decide which ones we're going to choose to realize. That's what today's objective is, the first one. And secondly, we're going to... The second um, learning objective is that we would conclude in our souls as to the immeasurable value trials have in in our lives. So this is the the top of page two in your handout. Follow along with us. Okay? Learn the rest of the possible outcomes and choose which one I'm going to do ahead of time. And number two, conclude that, that, that the immeasurable value that we go through this, uh, that, that trials have in our lives. Okay? So the last part that we're going to cover today is, though you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, last part of eight, obtaining as the outcome, verse nine, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let's pick up and look at the fourth possible outcome due to trials in our life. My joy can be inexpressible. My joy can be inexpressible. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. 4. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. My joy can be inexpressible. Would somebody read that out loud? Heard these things that cannot be told, which man... Okay. Um... Yours is what? Uh, ESV. ESV. Okay. Does somebody have um, New American Standard? Can you read that also? I do. Yes? <laughs> okay. So this is Paul, this is Paul being given um, a vision of the third heaven, which interestingly enough, tie that back to the word paradise. Paradise is in the third heaven because that's where he was, given, uh, he, he was given access to to be able to see. Okay. And number two... He was, he was given words that what, according to this verse? Heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Inexpressible words. So this describe, this word here, inexpressible, is to describe language that no normal words um, can, can describe uh, it at all. It, it's, it's transcendent to, to, I'll call it, natural or normal words is what this word inexpressible means. And if our joy is inexpressible, let's start to disentangle what that means practically in my life. 
Okay? The second point here is that this language is above or higher than natural speech or thought. It's higher than natural speech or thought. So, so I can't get there by thinking naturally, is the point. I have to think spiritually or supernaturally to get to that point of having the ability to, to have inexpressible joy. I can't get there on the natural plane. I can only get there by thinking spiritual thoughts and, and having my, my ability to think beyond the natu- my natural thinking. Okay, fair enough? And number three, it is unspeakable and indescribable because, here's the deal, it's experiential. It's experiential. Turn with me to Revelation 14, verse 3. This one is going to, for all you right, is it right brain, left brain? For all you right brain people in this room, this is going to be a real challenge for you. Okay, because it's a challenge for me. (laughs) Right brain meaning that you're cognitive versus emotional. Okay, mostly. Dave, looking at you. (laughs) Um, And... uh, and, and so this is a hard one for us to get our head around because, because of, of a lot of different things. But Revelation chapter f- uh, 14, uh, look at verse 1. And, I, and a great son, um, I'm sorry, in the wrong verse. And I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Um, And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a, get that, new song. They sang a new song. Hold hold that for a second. Sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And here you go. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they are celibates. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and they have been, quote, purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Okay? So what does this mean? Where they, no one could learn the song except for the 144,000. Paula. What, what does it say? What did it say? These are the ones... Um, uh, who have what been purchased from among men? What does that mean? That's the question, right? Um, in verse four, purchased from among men are those who have been martyred for their faith. Yes, those who have been martyred. So the hundred forty-four thousand will um, a good chunk of them, not all of them, probably will be martyred somehow. So what does this mean then? That 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 no one could learn the song except for them. They personally experienced this martyrdom themselves, not didn't hear about it from somebody else. They actually went through it when? In the Great Tribulation. Okay? They are all now been purchased from the earth through martyrdom and they are in heaven. And according to this, it's a, they crafted and, and wrote a new song. What does that mean that other people in, song, in heaven can't like, okay, I got the words, I got the melody, I can sing it. Why, why is that not what he means by they could not learn this song? It's because they didn't go through the same experience. It's like yeah. Thing, like yeah. Some of the stuff they're but In the exact same way. It's, yeah. It's just, 
Yeah, and so these 144,000 sing this new song because they have the ability to sing it from experience. They they were the ones who went through this together. They were the ones that lost their life in the Great Tribulation. They are the ones who sing this at the top of their lungs before the glo- for the glory of God in, the, in His presence. They're the ones that can sing it because they know it. They know it experientially, personally. Okay? Hold that thought now. Go to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. We're going to hit a few of these quickly here. Some of you want to read 149 verse 1. So how many people have ever read these 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 psalms, these verses in the psalms, and talked about this new song and go, okay, I kind of get it. You know, it's like somebody made up a new song. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about here. What does he say? He says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of what? His godly ones. His saints. His saints can sing this song that no non-believer can sing because they have what? Tasted salvation. They have experienced new life. We can sing songs that non-believers can't sing for anything because we have what? Experienced it together. Every one of us that that knows Christ. Why is the joy of the Lord expressed in the singing of His congregation so glorious to God? It's because He's purchased us for His purposes. And we are part of that family together. What a glorious thing. What an amazing thing. We've experienced it together. No one who is a non-believer can say, I've experienced that. None. Um, go back to Psalm uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than when there... Okay. So you have put gladness in my heart. You're the one who actually um, architects joy in my soul. Um, you're the one that sticks it in there and, and, and causes it to explode and make and, 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 and be amazing. Um, chapter 21, verse 6. 21, 6. Anybody? For you make blessed forever, joyful with gladness in your presence. So the key to joy, don't miss this, the key to joy and gladness is what? It's the presence of God in my life. It's allowing Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to reign supreme in my life. So the, the key to joy is, is, is giving up my own control and allowing Him to take control. So it's the proximity and the presence of, of, of the Holy Spirit and how close that intimacy is in my life. That's where joy comes from. Uh, 68.3 So there's this incredible um, thing that comes when we exalt in God. Um, can we exalt in God in the midst of trials? Oh my goodness, Yes! What else do we have to hang on to? Nothing. Nothing. That's the only place where we can exalt. It's in God. And God alone. 97.11 Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Okay. Light is sown and for the upright in heart. Amen. Gladness in the upright in heart. Um the last one here is it is so much that it, it, uh, it is so much so that it is inexpressible. Turn with me to Jude twenty four, Jude twenty four. This joy is inexpressible. Jude twenty four. Somebody read that out loud. Jude twenty four and twenty five. Twenty four 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Can you imagine standing before God, knowing my sinfulness, knowing who I am, confronted with an all-holy God, uh, and, and being washed in the blood of the Lamb, and being able to stand, not cower, because of the blood of Christ in my soul. Oh my goodness. He says, with great joy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you get too much more experiential than than partially experiencing that right there. That will be the pivot from this world to that world that we remember as a, as a milestone for all eternity when we stand before His presence with blameless great joy. Great joy. Joy inexpressible. Full of glory is the next one. So, my joy can be full of glory. Number five, my joy can be full of glory. This means, um, this word actually means it can render highest praise or it can become glorious. It can become glorious. Well, how does my joy become glorious? We actually get this word glory from the root word that we get the word doxology from. Doxa and logia. Glory and a saying or better yet, a study of. So you think of what? Theology. What is theology? Study of theos, which is God. So doxology is study of praise or glory. Praise or glory. So my joy can be glorious. How can that be? Um, it, It can become supreme, supernaturally energized and endowed with a divine glory that never fades away and is full is full. Turn with me to John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. Somebody read that out loud for us. John 15, 11. So that my joy, not your joy, my joy may be in you, and it may become full. The word full is fully complete, mature. Grow up into what it was meant to be. Become the best it ever could. That's what my my prayer for you is that my joy would be in you, infused in you, and that it would grow up to full maturity in you. How does it do it? Let me tell you, you just leave me alone and don't put me through trials, that would never happen. Never happen. God's hand in my life is the only way in which I am becoming more like Christ because my normal nature is not to pursue challenging things in my life. I would rather not go there. How about you? Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you can do that. I, I can't. I can't. God takes me there. And I can go there either swimming downhill in the stream or I can try swimming uphill. I'm going to get really, really, really tired. But you know what? Swimming uphill in a downhill stream, I still go downhill. <laughs> God still takes me where He wants me to take, take, take me in the midst of. All right, well, let's take a look at uh, number six. Before we do that, I just, want you to, I, I just want to do something real quick. Just stand where you're at. Stand where you're at. And uh, we're going to sing this doxology, if you can stand. Okay. Mm, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
mind go in the midst of that? Anybody? Was it on your problems? No? Isn't that amazing? It was on God, wasn't it? Yeah. Grace. Praise. The totality of creation that I'm only one of. And that this world doesn't like revolve around me, it revolves around God. Have a seat. Let me tell you, this is something I do in the midst of trials personally, is sing this song. I sing it out loud because it changes my thinking and it causes me to well up in incredible intensive praise for the glory of God. My joy becomes full of glory when I rest in, this, in, this, in these words here, personally. I encourage you to do the same. So another possible outcome is my joy can please God. My joy can please God on page 3. My, my, the glory of God will be magnified when we respond in joy. It will be magnified when we respond in joy. How is my joy magnified? Talk to me. How can my joy become magnified when I respond in joy? What do you think? It does. That it's not about what we can see. Yes. And that somehow my joy is going to be Contagious. It's going to be used by God in some way. And that's a trust in and of itself. Not that I put on airs or put on some front. But, but if I'm thinking these thoughts and I'm acting in a way that pleases God, then my trust in God is that I don't know who's watching, but God, you do. And let, let me be an instrument of your purposes. Amen. What else? The fact that I can somehow magnify this in a because, uh, because it's pleasing to God, it's just amazing to my soul. It's amazing. Somehow it's amazing. When you think about it, um, the Church of China, magnified all, God's glory is magnified all, all the way to here by their testimony, Amen. what they go through. Think of Brad response. and Lindsay. Think of Brad and Lindsay. We, 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 we looked at that as an anatomy of, of a response in a t- challenging situation, didn't we? Look how it blessed everybody here. I sent it on. People are listening to the Internet. That there will be used by God somehow, some way, for His purposes. It's just amazing. Yeah. My responses to trials can find favor with God. Find favor with God. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2.20. 1 Peter 2.20. My responses in the midst of trials can find favor with God. 1 Peter 2.20 says, For what credit is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated... You endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds what? Favor with God. He is pleased. It finds favor with God. He is pleased. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. He says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of our soul. Chapter 11, verse 1, Now, have you ever connected these two together? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. 
For God, for for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, faith isn't the absence of doubt, it, it is the overcoming of doubt in our life. It's not the absence of doubt, it's the overcoming of doubt in our life. And so, um, my joy comes into existence when I, when, when I actually um, put, I actually uh, develop faith. And faith only comes into existence when I actually make a decision to please God versus myself. That's how faith comes into existence. It, li- it literally never even was there before um, in that setting, in that situation, until that decision's made and, and I please God through it. So that's the process that, that, that the author of Hebrews talks about as to this. This whole chapter of 11 is, is about men and women who made a decision to please God. And then here's the resulting actions that existed in their lives. You know, um, Abraham, Enoch, you know, all of these, all these people um, uh, performed and did that as, a, as an outcome to what, as a... Um, as an outgrowth of making a decision in their hearts um, to trust God. Um, 1 Peter 4.13 1 Peter 4.13 He says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. This rejoice with exaltation is is this rejoicing on steroids. (laughs) That, That you may rejoice on steroids at that point. As a result of, I love this quote here. Those who please God best trust Him the most. Let read that two or three times because it's a little hard to kind of get. Okay, those those who pleases God best trust Him the most. I love that quote. I love that quote. I'll, I'll leave it up here for a second for you to write it down if you want it. Those who pleases God trust Him the most. Those who pleases God trust Him the most. Well, that finishes number six. Let's look at number seven together. He says, Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of, a soul, of your souls. This one probably threw you for a loop a little bit. I'm guessing it did. I was listening to some of the commentary in the, in the, in the questions. But um, first of all, let me talk about this one. So first one here is, um, My responses to trials can, can result in my deliverance. Number seven, My responses to trials can result in my deliverance. This word obtaining here at the front end of this verse actually should be translated as you are presently receiving for yourselves what is deserved. You're presently receiving for yourselves what is deserved. It speaks of present tense results, not something in the future. It's present tense results. And, and we will experience them, quote, if we respond right. If we respond right. And so obtaining... Real time, so this is, this is basically saying like real time you're going to experience the decision, the, the outcomes of your decisions to please God. Okay? That's kind of how it, how it flows. And what does that mean? It means this. My faithfulness will constantly deliver me from the power of sin that I am tempted towards while I'm in the midst of trials in my life. Wow! Are you, are you saying, Mark, that, that, that Peter's con- concluding possibly that like as I make a decision to please God, that I'm actually keeping myself, I'm putting hedges of protection around my soul from sinning in the midst of trials, that it would normally be the test or the trial that came to me because of that. Christ went into the 
Matthew 4, verse 1. Christ went into the wilderness to what? Be tested. To be tempted. So when he... When he didn't give in to sin, he actually fortified himself and battened down the hatches by, by saying no to sin and, and came through that trial with flying colors, right? Those trials with flying colors. And that's what happens in our life. When we, sit, when, we, when we lean fully into God in the midst of our trials, we actually are buttoning down the hatches and closing all the possible entrance points where I could be tempted to sin against God in the midst of that trial. Anger. All, uh, bitterness, um, lack of forgiveness, um, uh, hatred against pretty people, hatred against God, um, you know, uh, be, being jealous for other people who aren't in the midst of. Um, you just go on, okay? I know all of us could probably fill in the blanks here in a major way, but this is amazing out, possible outcome of our commitments to please God in the midst of trials. Amazing. I never would have gotten this out of this passage. Number eight. My responses to trials can result in the salvation of others. My responses to trials can result in the salvation of others. Some manuscripts that are ancient, interestingly enough, actually do not contain the word your before souls. And that exploded a whole new meaning for me. Why? Because he's basically saying, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of souls. Wow. Are you saying that my faithfulness in the midst of my trials will serve as a testimony to others and they will come to Christ because of that? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Are you saying that other people are going to come to Christ possibly because of the way in which I navigated this situation? I tell you what, that is absolutely true. You hear it on people's you know, um, uh, eulogies. You hear it about people's situations in their life where they've come to Christ because of this. You know, not, no other answers can come forward about how to do this well. There's, there, there are no purposes and reasons out there in why suffering and, and, and situations like this exist in the world. This is one of the single biggest issues for non-believers in coming to Christ. Single biggest issues is, why would a loving God allow or put you determine the word, okay? Situations and circumstances like that, like that, like that, and they name them. They name them. And we tend to cower because of that. Let me tell you, you should not cower because God has purpose in all of these things in our lives. All of them. And you should be on the offensive because of these truths that we are going through here and now. You should have an understanding of why this is. Do not let us cower because of this great argument. There is reason behind it all. And God is glorious. And God is the one who will receive the the praise as a result of. Do not go there. Do not allow them to go there. Because you know better. You know better. Okay. So, the ball's in my court. I can strengthen my confidence in God. I can store up honor from God. I can experience intimacy with God. My joy can be inexpressible and full of glory. I can please God. My, result, my responses can result in my deliverances, and my responses can result in the salvation of others. The question is, is will it? Will it? And so, turn with me to our conclusions, if you would. Our conclusions. I want to talk about three anchors, and I want to talk about seven decisions I must make. Three anchors and and seven decisions. 
So, first of all, either God is sovereign over all or He's not sovereign over anything. Either God is sovereign over all or He's not sovereign over anything. That's just the way it is. Do you serve and love and have intimacy with a sovereign God or is your God not sovereign? That's the fundamental question. Deal with it. Put it on the table. It's the dead fish in the middle of the coffee table. Talk about it. Deal with it. Don't put it under a rug. Deal with it. Come to a conclusion. Is God sovereign or is He not? That's it. The, the implications of that conclusion will define how you go forward. And I'm here to tell you, God is sovereign over all things, in all places, for His purposes and for His glory. That's it. Deal with it. Most people trip up over it. But for most people, it can actually become the cornerstone of everything that they have and, and live for. Why? I must remember, first of all, that he actually has not just allowed this, but he's architected what I'm going through. He's actually architected what I'm going through. And remember also that, that it is a reason, there's a reason for this situation or circumstance and situation or relationship in my life. There's a reason for it also. He's architected it, and there's a reason for it. And this one here is, our living hope is an anchor for our souls. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Would somebody read, um, or I'll read it in, in time. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. He says, In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of His purposes, interposed an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which we which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled refuge for refuge in laying hold of the, here it is, hope set before us. Verse 19. This hope, this living hope that Peter's talking about here in this passage of Peter, he says what? It is an anchor for our soul. Why is it an anchor for our soul? He answers the question right here. He says... Um, it is an anchor for our soul, a hope that's sure, it's steadfast, and it's one that enters in the, within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. And he's become a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I could take weeks to just disentangle this particular verse, okay? But let me tell you this, and that is that Jesus, um, the, the, our living hope, has, has been fortified or garrisoned because of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And it is that joy that we have that through that living hope that is sure, it's steadfast. And here's the thing, one that enters in the veil. What does that mean? What does it mean when he says one that enters within the veil? Yeah, I get sure and steadfast, but what's the last part? Intimacy with God is now available in the midst of trials because of Christ having torn down the curtain and I can go into the very presence of God now, not through a priest, directly in the midst of. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Our living hope is an anchor for our souls. Three anchors we must remember. Decisions we must make. First, choose to try to stay within this situation or circumstance or relationship or try to get out from underneath it. Those are the two, those are the two things you, you have to make a decision on. If God's sovereign and this is for my good, then I'm going to choose to what? Hold up, bear up underneath. Bear up underneath. Press on. Hang in there. There's reason for this. It has glorious purposes in my soul. I may not understand it, but I trust God. 
Second, choose to become proficient at discovering what God has in, in this for me or close the door and pursue my own to fulfill my own expectations. I can, I can pursue God's and discover what God's got in this for me through an act of faith. By the way, every one of these, these, these decisions, these, these seven decisions, are, is an act of faith. It's this or that. Okay? Third one is choose to embrace God's purposes for it or turn my back on them. Choose to embrace God's purposes for it or turn my back on them. Turn my back on them. Choose to embrace God's purposes or turn my back on them. Next is choose to move closer to God as a result of that my decision or move away from Him. There's only two. You, you can't stay where you're at. You're either going to buy your very nature of making the decision, okay? Uh, make a decision, okay? By not making a decision. Or you can make a decision, which means that you will move closer to God. Okay? Next is, this is a long one, let me just read it for you, but I thought I just, it was important for me to get it all out there, is choose to begin the, the process of developing and experiencing life. This is back to that experiential nature of joy. Experiencing life, godliness, joy, rest, discernment, wisdom, confidence of intimacy with God through them, or possibly develop, and we all talked about this earlier, a root of bitterness and hatred for my situation or circumstance or relationship, which will what? Guarantee that I continue to be angry, continue to be frustrated, continue to be fearful, continue to be hateful, continue to be selfish, continue to be discontent, and lacking peace in my life. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. Verse 3, somebody read it out loud, real loud. 26.3. Amen. You'll keep him in perfect peace. The idea here is unshakable bedrock. Unshakable bedrock. For those who have their mind stayed upon thee. You want to be able to navigate trials and situations and circumstances well in your life? Keep your mind stayed upon Christ and God. Hold in. Steady on. Choose to develop and demonstrate confidence in my faith's validity, value, maturity, and quality. Or I can sabotage my faith. Or I can sabotage my faith. Again, choose to develop demonstrate confidence in my faith's validity. Confidence. And then last but not least, choose to continually be delivered from the power of sin in the midst of my trials and be a testimony for the gospel. Or give in to sin. And become an affront to the gospel. Give in to sin and become an affront to the gospel. Seven key decisions. Well, just in closing here, uh, in, the, in the midst of trials, I want to remind you of just a, a, a crucial quote that just can, always haunts me personally. Um, I've memorized it. I bring it forward whenever I can. And that is just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And I just wanted to say this, which is may God help us decide well. God's name and God's glory are at stake. God's name and God's glory is at stake. God's name and God's glory is at stake. On this other handout I gave you, um, I, just due to time, I, I was hoping to try to read this together. It is immensely powerful. The book, Safely Home, this is the introduction right here. 
which really captures your attention. But this is the epilogue. The epilogue is four pages here. And um, the epilogue, I'll tell you, once you've read the book and you read this epilogue, it's like, okay, Revelation says what? The, the, the people in heaven are, are, are crying out to the Lord, which we do so many times personally. How long, O oh Lord? Remember a couple of weeks ago, Michael said this, remember? How long, O oh Lord, are you not going to avenge and put to right all these things that we look at with our own eyes and say, you can't be God? How long, O oh Lord, are you not going to act on behalf of, of those who have been harvested from this world? How long, who are now being harvested today? How long, O oh Lord? This epilogue actually answers this question in an amazing way, but it uses the characters from Safely Home to answer it. And uh, I just really strongly encourage you to read this and give you a great idea of, of, of the book itself. Um, but this is the question of the ages, isn't it? How can I trust a God who puts people and me in situations like this in place? Point number one. Number two, how long, O oh Lord? The, the, the scriptures have glorious answers for all these things. Glorious answers. In amazing color. Uh, vibrant color. Um, Kim, would you close us in prayer? Father, I thank you so much. So many riches. Hearts be soft and teachable. As we go through our week, love and light to those. Amen. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.